Welcome to the Cult of Cinema podcast. Please put on your favourite folk ballad, get naked and join us as we discuss horror and genre cinema. My name is Caitlin and I'm joined by my lovely co-host Phil. Hey Phil. Hey, welcome back. Welcome back. It's been a while. It has. In today's episode, Shudder comes to Australia. Woo! Shudder. So we've been waiting for this for a long time. I think it was meant to come out. Was it New Year's Eve 2019? Yes. So we're waiting all of 2018 for it. Yeah. And then it came the day and we were sitting in front of our computers waiting and there was no notification. And then it took another year. Sadness. Yeah. So that sucked. But it's finally here. Hooray. To get the... uh, the elephant out of the room. Yes, it is a truncated version. We're not getting the full American shudder. But when do we ever get the full American version of anything streaming? Thanks, Rupert Murdoch. But yeah, exactly. But there's definitely ways if you uh, know what you're doing. You know, wink, wink, VPN, wink, wink. Um, We actually haven't done that yet, but we will. We might not. (laughs) There's a lot to pick from. That's true. Even though... It is the truncated Australian version. There's still over 120 films, I think I counted. Plus TV shows. And some TV shows. and yeah, A lot of gems. Yeah, there's a lot to get through. I mean, there's there's some stinkers on there, but it's all... That's just life. Fill up my love. <laughs> exactly. It, it's a little bit like going to a festival and signing up for all the horror films. And you just don't know what you're going to get. And it really honestly depends on the person themselves. Yeah, actually, that's true. There's um, there's a wide variety there, taste-wise. But anyway, so w- we're going to uh, tell you a little bit about what we've been watching on Shudder. And we're going to give you some uh, double feature recommendations, because who doesn't love a double feature in a pandemic? Exactly. So we haven't watched everything on there, because that is pretty full-on. But we've... At least not yet. We've done our darndest to watch a fair chunk. I think we've pretty much only watched Shutter Things the last week, which is about 20 films. So We're not doing too badly, We're I chewing would say. Through it. And you'd seen quite a few of them already, hadn't you? I have seen quite a few from festivals. Yeah, there's like a lot of mid-20-teens festival fodder on there that yeah. I hadn't seen. Exactly. Um, or are yet to see. Or are yet to see, yeah. I mean, can you speak to the quality of many of those? Uh, I think that there is a good bunch of films, um, and they, like we were saying before, range from mid-level to some quite exploitation-y ones to um, some higher-class um, cultured international fare. So mm-hmm. I'll, I'll there's something for the whole family, I'd say. Yeah, there's a really good mix there. I mean, I'll I'll have the list open while we're what we're discussing, but why don't we talk a little bit about the films that we've been watching, or did you want to do our double feature recommendation first? No, let's just chat about what we've been watching. I just want to say really quickly, I also appreciate how Shudder has cut up the films into mini little festivals yourself, so they've, instead of just having sub-genres per se, they actually have um, different ways of cutting it up. One of them my personal favorite is uh, a woman's touch and they're all um female directed films. Oh, so if the you collections did, area. Yeah, if you right. did want to go to the collections area, which I highly recommend, there's um yeah, different titles to 
seat whatever kind of mood you're in. Oh, that's so interesting. I actually hadn't looked at that because I'd just gone straight to the movie list. But um, yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, what do we got here? We've got A Shudder Summer, which is a selection of sunny scares from summer camps to the open sea. And then it's got um, Horror 101, which is like a, um, a couple of collections for people to get introduced to horror, which is actually quite smart, I think, because it can be a little bit... Overwhelming uh, at times. Yeah, it's a daunting genre to get into because there is a variability in quality. And when you're starting, you probably don't want to start with something that is stronger taste fair. Do you know what I mean? Like it's something that would maybe usually take you some time to develop a an interest in. Yeah, so, very true. Yeah, so alongside A Woman's Touch, which is the female director's section, they've also got Slash X, which is um, classic slasher films. And then they've got other genres underneath. Yeah, it's definitely worth a look. The only thing that might annoy some people is that they have uh, pictures of films which are not available in Australia. So don't get your hopes up until you've actually clicked the links. Yeah, for example, on the Slash X that's got Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which is currently not available. But the slashes that they do have in the Slash X section are pretty good. So. Heads up that uh, Texas Chainsaw is on Canopy if you do have a valid library card. Yeah, Canopy's great. We also saw... Um, Bucket of Blood. Bucket of Blood, recently. which was a lot of fun. And, no, it's a horror comedy by Roger Corman, if you're not uh, familiar. Wages of Fear. Yes. Wow, that was good. Would you say that's horror adjacent? Yeah, and it's a thriller. Like, it's, it's not horror. It's the... Second most stressful film we've seen this year, I'd say, after uh, Uncut Gems, which was a kind of existential <laughs> dread that I will never get over. And I've never had sweatier palms in a film, to be honest. I think I, I think I preferred Wages of Sin, but yes, you're right. There was something f- like totally frantic about Uncut Gems. Wages of Fear is the happy stressfulness that I appreciate in films. Uncut Gems was <laughs> a nightmarish ride into it was. <laughs> some... That's, it's almost horror adjacent just because it's real life terror. <laughs> yeah, it's a real shit sack universe. Well, mostly it's just a shit sack universe because the character, the main guy, just is so. Adam, played by Adam Sandler, if you're not familiar. It's just so fucking inept at life. It's an A24 gem. That's pretty good, yeah. But anyway, let's talk about Shudder. So we started off our Shudder journeys. In America, actually. Many moons ago in America. And the films that we watched there, some are not even available here, sadly, like Chud. Oh, Chud. I loved that. Chud was great. It was a little bit like watching the Home Alone alumni before they did Home Alone. It was. Because you've got the father from Home Alone and Marv, the white One Afro, of the wet bandits. Wet bandit. Uh, and they're both chewing the scenery in Chud. So if it's you get a VPN, I'm sure it's still on there. Cannibalistic humanoid underground dwellers for those un- unfamiliar with Chud, the loveliness of Chud. I really enjoyed Chud. And- yeah, it was really good. I mean, the monsters are pure 50s atomic age fodder. But that the characters are so believable. Yeah, you're really rooting for them. The um, uh, an interesting little factoid about Chud. It was meant to be the film that Donnie Darko was watching at the cinema, 
in Donnie Darker. <laughs> in Donnie Darker, but they couldn't actually figure out who owned it. I think we watched a director's commentary. We did. Because Katie did a uh, live director's commentary of her film, 30 Miles From Nowhere. Thanks for all those who tuned in. It was a great fun with Sally Christie, the renowned film critic and broadcaster. Yeah, it was a really good night. It was like... It was one of those times where I'm like, man, why isn't this film like an hour and a half longer? I wanted to hear more. <laughs> but yeah, we, uh, Katie was preparing for that and she watched some director's commentaries and one of them, the director of Donnie Darko, what's his name? Richard Kelly. Kelly was talking about the saga of trying to get film rights to actually show in the screening and that uh, Raimi just went, you know, yeah, you can have Evil, Evil Dead, Dead for free. Just for do free. it. What a legend. Such a ledge. Anyway, so... <laughs> Tangents. Uh, our journey started with horror noir, so I decided to rewatch it when uh, we first got Shudder, and I was not disappointed. That's a good doco. You want to explain what horror noir is about for those uninitiated? Sure. So it's pretty famous at this point in horror circles, but for anybody who hasn't heard of it, horror noir is a history of black representation and black directed horror films, and it's. It's sort of a, a discussion about how depictions of black people ha- in horror films have changed over time uh, and in cinema more generally. Like they start with Birth of a Nation, which has um, you know people in blackface and it's obviously super racist, um, but they sort of describe that as a horror film because, yeah, for black people it is a horror film. I think it's just a horror film if you're not a racist. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, yeah, and they just go through all the different... Um, you know tropes and and stereotypes that we ex- that were experienced by black people in those films, and we'd come to expect as audiences throughout the years. So it gives like a really nice like academic breakdown, but it's also just a fantastic um, series of black actors talking about these films, and filmmakers, and, and filmmakers critics, and, and yeah, producers, and academics. It's just a great mix. Um, I, for me, like the thing that sort of stopped it from being really perfect was that I wanted a little bit more to and fro in the discussion sections. Like sometimes it felt a little bit like we were being uh, just sort of, I mean, which is fair enough considering how short it was, but it just felt a little bit like we were just being given one uh, academic perspective the whole time and it would have been cool to have a few, uh, you know, different... Counter arguments maybe. Yeah, I mean, from within the yeah. community, obviously, I'm not talking about, like, you know. No one wants an outsider's perspective. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I don't want some white, white dude coming in and telling us what he thinks. But, like, just having some... Because some, some of the ideas that get profit are pretty strong. And, like, they're definitely, like, reasonable readings. But it would have been cool to have a few more. I just wanted more, basically. Yeah. More content. Well, you just really enjoyed it. And you just wanted yeah. to hear more. And you wanted to hear academics with disparate views chatting yeah. about it and putting forward their ideas and theories absolutely and like for a film that had so much in it already it was a very tight 83 minutes uh, i would have watched like a four-hour version of that like and an into the darkness exactly and that brings me to the next thing we watched which was in search of darkness which was uh an 80s horror documentary mostly focused on american films to be fair. Yeah. It was... I mean, what what did you think America about that centric. one? Uh, I really liked it. I, th- I thought I would get 
maybe bored since it was four hours long, but actually it didn't feel four hours long when we're watching it. 265 minutes. Yeah, we managed to, we only had one break and that was um, just because we started watching it in a lunchtime break. But I honestly could have watched the four hours of it and not felt like it was long. Um, It was well edited. They had lots of good talking heads. Um, Quite a lot of it, if you're already a horror fan, would be um, old news to you. But it's just nice to have new people's perspectives um, chiming in. And there are like bits and pieces um, that I didn't know and I found quite interesting. So, yeah, Yeah. would would recommend. Yeah, I mean, it was pretty comprehensive. And as you say, they get like a a huge amount of the actors themselves to talk about it. So it felt it felt like the definitive addition, like this capstone on the 80s, which was nice. And they go through year by year. But uh, if I had a few little things... That criticisms? I, yeah. Constructive uh, criticisms, of course. I'm not sure why this is a movie. Like at 265 minutes. Like we, we nearly saw it a couple of different festivals, I think. Or maybe it was just one, one Monster Fest. But we just couldn't fit it in because it, it just devoured the time slot of several other films we wanted to see. It did. And it just it strikes me that this could have very easily been a miniseries. Yeah, I understand why, but I think it's more it was it was crowdfunded, if I'm not mistaken, mm. and that was made kind of by the fans for the fans. And in that way I think it served its purpose. Yeah. I felt like, yeah, I don't know. I felt like it would have been very trivial to edit it into three-part miniseries, like just to make it a little bit more digestible for people who don't, you know, won't have to remember where they paused and get lost. You know, what did we just see? Like, because it does benefit from watching it in one sitting. But uh, speaking of which, if um, segueing into the fact that we watched all of Eli Roth's History of Horror, which is a very similar... Um, conceit in some regards, but um, and had a lot of the same talking heads. I, I it feels like some of it was maybe shot at the same time. Or Potentially, if I don't know if maybe somebody can let us know if they know of any overlap between those two productions. But yeah, it felt a bit eerie sometimes. How similar. especially watching it back to back. Yeah, well, and and the interesting thing is, I actually. Although I didn't expect to. I think I actually preferred the Eli Roth one. Yeah. I didn't necessarily prefer Eli Roth chiming in <laughs> no. all the time. We're not huge fans of Eli Roth. If you want to know what we're talking about, please go check out online. It's all there for say. He has been me too'd. But uh, th- that's not for us to get into here because we're talking about Shudder. Yeah. But um, the so the reason I brought up In Search of Darkness was that for something that was so long... I felt like I learned less than what I learned in Horror Noir. Yeah, 100%. And, like, I mean, that obviously speaks more to my exposure to, you know, predominantly black horror. I also think that I appreciated the amount of horror um, academics and critics yeah. in Horror Noir Absolutely. compared to, um, yeah the 80s doco just because that was a lot of actors and to be fair a lot of actors can only really speak to things on set and it's not they don't really get into the deeper nitty-gritty of the themes of horror across the years and genres and 
they can only really speak to a specific time and place. So I feel like horror noir gave a more well-rounded, broader um, idea that linked back into bigger themes within horror that um, was missing from um, In Search of Darkness. Yeah, and it's interesting that although it was more content heavy, it was so much shorter, I could have lived with the times being swapped around, although obviously a decade in depth. Yeah, I mean, we're talking about the entire history of Blackheart. Yeah, I don't know. feels like I could have done with more horror noir. Yeah, 100%. Also, um, just a constructive criticism, but um, there are other movies other than Friday the 13th movies throughout the 80s, and we didn't need to see an in-depth look at each one of them. Unfortunately, that was my main issue. I took the words right out of my mouth. Like, Obviously, they're they're hugely important and it's a cultural phenomenon, but my God, do we have to look at every single one? I mean, we didn't look at every single Nightmare on Elm Street or... No, exactly. Halloween. Right. Not that we need to. But that's the thing. They they knew that and then moved on. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, we... We got a, a reasonable variety of films, I must say. But again, America-centric. Very American and, yeah, a lot of Friday the 13th. Like I felt like there was maybe an hour of Friday the 13th content and I'm not even a big Friday the 13th fan, so it was a bit grueling. I'm pretty sure there's been other docos made on those series anyway, so it's really kind of felt unnecessary. Yep. My hope is that with the success of Horror Noir, because it's been very successful, that we'll get more. I'd love them to turn it into a TV series, a miniseries. It really, I think honestly it demands it. The content really demands a longer form. Because you could go into an entire, I would love an entire episode on Black Killer. Yeah, 100%. You know, I would love an entire episode on any of those cool portmanteaus, like... Or Demon Knight, or like all these films that that just rule, that people don't know enough about, that deserve like... I mean, basically, the, the last third of the film is devoted to Get Out, which is cool. Get Out's great. But like, I wanted that kind of treatment for all these other really important horror films that were older. Yeah, and ones that have been made since as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately... There were limitations on them that, uh, that that you can feel. I mean, the fact that it's 83 minutes, somebody somewhere, a producer somewhere has said, look, you can't, you can't do this for longer than 80 minutes. Like, Yeah, no, but who doesn't want that, honestly? Like, you need to know your market. It's crazy. I, and look, I mean, we know for a fact that this documentary would not have been made if it wasn't for Get Out. Exactly. It's done on the coattails of Get Out. And Get Out... You know, being such a breakout. And one thing they they, they bring up in Horror Noir is that, and it's sad that this was surprising to everyone, but that, quote, you know, white audiences could empathise with a black character, could empathise with a character that wasn't them and could watch an entire film. And that they'll actually turn up for films that are actually intended for black audiences. Yeah, I just... I feel like... A lot of times, well, society, but more broadly, like, people who are in charge of things still see the way that the world was maybe 20, 30 years ago. And the fact that we have to 
make that mental leap apparently as audiences that like either A, women don't like horror or B, audiences who aren't black won't turn out for a black lead character is basically absolute bullshit and yeah. we really they really need to pick pick it up and like run with it because like take some chances they're so innately conservative yeah and even just the other day when we were rereading rewatching um uh no when we watched um cursed films and they had that statistic once again about um the exorcist like 55 percent of women watch horror films and it's like that was actually in in search of darkness that's right or was it eli roth fuck we watched so many of these documentary (laughs) shows but yeah it was during that was about the slashes yeah because they were all these, you know, critics and, you know, white conservative male voices were all like, those films, they're only for men, they only serve men, blah, 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 blah. And, like, radical feminists decry, like, such things, like, slashes and things because they're killing women and therefore innately anti-feminist. But, like, like they said in the docker, like, most people who are the loudest voices have not even seen even a little bit of any of these movies. Yeah, and what was the stat was, like, 55% of the audience are, are women. women. So, uh, so who's the audience? So who's this for? <laughs> um, yeah, and it was, I think that maybe there was a Eli Roth one. I don't know. It doesn't matter. They all start to blur. They do a little bit. I'm not going to lie. But right. we have watched them very close together. So that is also our fault. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's because we're trying to cram for the listeners. That's right. You're welcome, listeners. We do such <laughs> hard work for you. But definitely we can recommend In Search of Darkness and Horror Noir. Probably In Search of Darkness slightly less, but, you know, it's it's more nostalgic for most, for your average horror fan, I'd say. Yeah, and definitely Eli Roth's um, History of Horror just for the difference in talking heads from um, In Search of Darkness and also it's less America-centric. And also more inclusive of yeah. female directors. Yeah, definitely. And and a little bit more representative. Uh, representative, thank you. My brain had a fart there. Yeah, it was more, which was surprising because, I mean, obviously we, we know everything with Eli Roth and all that, but um, whoever wrote it, you know, definitely was a lot more even-minded. Did their research. Yeah. You know, and we get things like, obviously, you know, they they bury themselves into The Exorcist and, and the Texas Chainsaw Massacre and these famous films. But then we get things like The Changeling. Like, they talked about that at length. Yeah, which is great. I still think it was pretty American-centric, but... It's always going to be if it's produced by America. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, Americans. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was interesting because, like, they basically for the most part, like, overlooked Hammer Horror. Yeah. Which was weird to me. Or any exploitation. Yeah. I mean, that's more niche, but it's... We already have our own doco about that anyway, if you haven't seen it. Um, that's the not-quite-Hollywood one? Correct. I haven't seen that. Oh. Yeah, it's on my watch list. Treat yourself. Yeah, it will. <laughs> All right, so how about we just do a little quick talk through about what we've seen... We've weirdly enough, the last few films we've seen have been um, found footage, which um, is neither mine nor Phil's preferred subgenre of choice. But um, we've had a little mini um, festival by accident. Yeah, we have. So it started with not that this is on um, Shutter, but it started with the Blair Witch Project, which we watched with some family, and uh, just to you they know. picked it. Yeah. They picked it. We hadn't seen it for ages. We thought we'll rewatch it. Uh, what do you think? 
it is a classic for a reason, but I did not enjoy it uh, when I first saw it or just then. So, yeah. I, I appreciate what they're doing. I think it is very successful at that. Do I also have to like it? No. It was interesting, the discussion on, on the discussion group, which if you're not part of, get on board. There's some great chats happening on there at the moment. Yeah, people are really enjoying it. Uh, people talking about the the impact of the marketing program that they had in place. Yeah. And, and that really helped to heighten the experience. Sell the mystique. Well, yeah, because they, they had like a little sub-documentary about how it was a real, real deal. Yeah, 100%. And it was true. And apparently it was even on like SBS, which is an, which is an Australian free-to-air. Um, Broadcast like, channel? Yeah, it's like a, um, a diversity broadcast channel, really. Mm. Um, but they also do like, they, they were sort of like the main niche film channel for a long time. Uh, and how, yeah, by promoting it as true story as a real found footage Mm. it really heightened it for people i was such a cynical kid that it just it i didn't even want to entertain the idea that it was true like i think a lot of my friends at the time were like really big into ghosts and like would tell each other ghost stories and believed in this sort of stuff and i was just such a prick i'm sure (laughs) i'm sure i was insufferable But I just was having none of it. And, I mean, I think I I recall watching it and being like, how is this camera lasting this long? How's the battery life still going? Exactly. Like, I just remember thinking, like, I've used handheld cams, man. Like, they'll last a couple hours max. Yeah, not five (laughs) days in the woods. Yeah, exactly. I'm like, where are they getting water from? What are they fucking eating? Why are they still recording? Why does their hair still look so good? (laughs) Yeah, who's holding this camera right now? (laughs) (laughs) What what is this angle right now? Yeah, it was weird. Why is it so cinematic? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And so for the fact that it... For me, it just doesn't quite work because it doesn't quite fully fall into that it's so real vibe Mm. that you kind of want to lean into with found footage. But it's also not, you know, cinematic enough and it's not, uh, it doesn't really show anything. Like, I think that was our main gripe is that not a lot actually happens. Yeah. Even within the character um, arcs. Not a lot actually happens. Yeah, I, I don't know. Like for something, I guess we can contrast it with some of the other found footage films we've watched recently. We have. So we um, dived into two that are on Shutter. Um, one of my personal top two favorites, The Borderlands, and we also watched uh, the critically acclaimed, recently uh, released Host. Yeah. So Borderlands was from 2013, and for it's also known as. Last Prayer or The Last Prayer in America, I believe. Yes. Borderlands is... A video game. It's such a silly choice. for, And even Last Prayer is a silly choice for a name for this film, I think. The poster and the title really uh, don't give it a good rap, so please um, ignore and proceed. Yep. So the gist of it, if I look at my letterbox summary here, uh, so, Vatican investigators are sent to the British West County, sorry, to the British West Country to investigate paranormal activity, uh, and that's at a small church, and they find the events are more disturbing than they first imagined. Do-do-do-do. See, from that, I wouldn't watch it. 
it's not great. Like the, it feels like <laughs> actually that's a really good contrast with Blair Witch Project, which had such a sophisticated marketing strategy mm. and is a weaker film, but is the you know the lasting cultural impact of that. I think also um, it has a similar setup in that it's about about three to four main characters in the Borderlands and they are looking at old legends somewhat. Um, I just think that the Borderlands has more interesting characters who are more relatable and um, their banter between them just seems more um, believable. It's, it's funny. and Yeah, and you need some some humor to take away from the scares. You need to lighten the load a little bit occasionally. And it's very British in the way that they establish a relationship between the two. So the gist is there's a Vatican investigator and then there's like this, uh, let's call him, he's not an atheist, he's agnostic. Yeah, and he's like agnostic the, tech head. He's the tech guy. And he's the one who gives us like the reason for a bunch of exposition basically. You know, it's like, why is this happening? And then, you know, the expert will tell him. But also he's the one who puts cameras everywhere and like they have to wear cameras on their heads at all time, which is a way of explaining why we're constantly getting point of view shots. Uh, even though those angles don't make any sense, but that doesn't matter. Like it's, You go with it. It's enough, you know, like the, it, it's plausible enough because... Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's fun to have um, the basically the tech head um, agnostic guy who's really actually into the fact that it might be real and the yeah. Vatican investigators who are like, it's all a bunch of hooey. Yeah, he ends up being the molder to their scully. Yeah, which I love. You don't expect it going in. So the gist is that a a priest in a small church in the middle of Bumblefuck nowhere, this creepy village, um, has footage of things moving on his altar during a baptism. Oh my god, that actually makes so much sense now. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, it only just hit me. That's right. Oh, <laughs> okay. You gotta watch this film. Anyway, so things are moving on the altar, and there's video footage because people are, you know, taking footage of a baptism, and shit's just going totally wrong. And he's called it in as a miracle, uh, and it starts becoming less and less miraculous and more and more fucking creepy the longer they're there. Potentially demonic. Who knows? With some pretty let's just let's just say that I consider this a folk horror. And I'll leave it at that. Anybody who's into like that kind of thing, this is right up your alley. And just British humor or horror in general, yeah, it, it's it'll be right up your alley. And it's it, it's a little gem that just kind of creeps up on you, and um, it plays with that digital camera um, effect that yeah. wasn't quite played with enough. I think in the Blair Witch, they didn't exploit it enough, and in the terms of yeah. the. Um, you don't can't see into the blacks. The blackest blacks are just noise, and they play with little pixelated parts of the um, footage. And yeah, like where it gets corrupted, and and they use that to hide things. But they're like, it's plausible that the footage is <sighs> actually breaking up. Gives me shivers. But honestly. you're like, why is it breaking up? Is this just a an accident, or is this something malevolent? Like it's mm, very good, very very good. Yeah, I was. You have been talking this film up for years. And it still blew me away. It didn't disappoint, which no. I had to, before we watched it, I had to like, Phil, I know I've, I've, I've probably built this up way too much and maybe I was just in the right mood and maybe it was really creepy the time I watched it by myself. Who knows? Let's have a look. And guess what? 
viewers and listeners, it was creepy again. <laughs> it was. So this is actually one of my uh, double feature recommendations. <gasps> and it's a recommendation that I would put along with host. And so good thing we're talking about because I feel like they were really a nice complement to each other. So Borderlands 2013, host 2020. Uh, host, if you're not familiar, is a film filmed entirely on Zoom. So we've all been there, obviously, during a pandemic. And um, it's set during said pandemic that we are currently still in, which... Um, is both funny and not funny. <laughs> <laughs> um, I really appreciate... I read online that the reason this film is so short is it didn't need to have a first act of setting everything up because, uh, listeners, we have all been there. We're, we're all in a pandemic and we all know <laughs> how Zoom works. Um, so it gets right to the action pretty quickly. And the characters, while not archetypical, are relatable enough. You just... Their characterization is so quick and so clear you, I think it's good writing and good acting on their behalf. Yeah, it's. I think this, although I enjoyed the Borderlands more, I think the host is a very, very clever film. So basically, if, for those who don't know, it's um, a bunch of characters. They get on Zoom. They decide to do a seance. Chaos ensues. Yeah, it's it's a simple premise. The what's really clever about it's the execution. So they, they really lean into the Zoom format. Yeah, once again, that's I think that's one of the reasons it works so well. Borderlands leans into the digital camera um, revolution and um, Host leans into the Zoom revolution. And I feel like Borderlands is connecting more to that religious horror. I mean, if anything, it's kind of similar to Paranormal Activity. Mm. But in that it's it's literally just, it's that classic... Setting up cameras, let's look and see if something paranormal occurs. Um, but, but it's it, like... It's um, way more effective. I was going to say, it's paranormal activities, way more talented cousin. <laughs> yeah, but also, like, strangely not known. Yeah, I'm... Again, marketing, I'm I reckon. so shocked that people don't talk about this when they talk about their favourite found footage. I, look, honestly, I think it's because it's about two old dudes. And nobody wants to watch that. Yeah, it's like uh, like this sort of tubby old dude and, like, he's pretty annoying to begin with but kind of endearing as well tech head not friend yeah initially at least <laughs> like they develop a friendship but like he's just this guy he has to work with him he's a colleague he's that annoying fucking colleague <laughs> that you have to work with um so yeah i don't yeah it's which is ironically why i enjoyed it <laughs> because instead of just a bunch of like pointless teenagers who i fucking hate <laughs> It's people who actually have some history, like they got they got some meat on their bones narratively, mm. and yeah. Anyway, but then in host, they're a bunch of like twenty something college kid, college age kids, or just after college, I'd say. Yeah, they're kind of like late twenties. It's like uh, maybe a bit it's younger. like six, seven girls and one guy. It's like five girls. Five girls. Yeah. Yeah. And the seance plus the plus the plus the um, clairvoyant medium. She's not a medium. She doesn't actually inhabit, like the spirit never inhabits her. She's it's just true. the guide. Yeah. She just knows how to do it. Salen. She's Salen. That's a, that's a name. <laughs> She's the one who kind of has the knowledge. She's the expert. Um, anyway, shit goes wrong. There's actually not that much plot that you need to know. Just, uh, it's kind of, 
You know how short films kind of live and die sometimes by their gimmick? Host lives by its gimmick. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's very clever with the way it uses it. Like, you, <laughs> they use, like, zoom backgrounds to... Oh, that was my favorite part. <laughs> it was very funny and scary. Um, or shocking. I and guess. the chat sequence. And then, of course, at the end, it's it's timing you down for the end of the meeting, which yeah. we've all been there and... Yes, exactly. You know what's happened, what's going to come, but it's still great. Exactly. And like, yes, it is a bunch of jump scares. And like I said, the, the premise is There's still very dread basic. though. Absolutely, absolutely. They build the dread into the jump scares. It's not just a bunch of jump scares where you're like, you feel like it's a laugh at the end of each sketch. Like no. it really builds to each scare. And I think it's really effective. I think it's a great yeah. film. It's very cleverly constructed. And like a lot of the time you start thinking, how do they do that? And particularly in the six week turnaround, I think there was on them writing and creating this More film. power to them. Like honestly. it's crazy. But don't go in there expecting like an epic story. It's more about the experience. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very good. I, I, I liked it a lot. Highly recommended. So yeah. that's a great double then. So that's my double. And I mean, the, the benefit of host as well is it's 56 minutes. Yeah. You can just chuck it's it on like it's a long TV episode. Really? Yeah. It's, it's shorter than some TV episodes these days. Correct. So very, very good. And that's my first double feature recommendation, Borderlands and Host. Nice. Nice segue. What would, what's your first double feature recommendation? Uh, my first double feature recommendation is one of my heroes, Alice Lowe, and it's a double feature of Prevenge, her uh, written, directed, produced, and starring feature, and uh, Sightseers, which she uh, co-wrote and stars in with Steve Oram, which is a Ben Wheatley film, both horror comedies. They're great. They are. I love them. And Steve Arms also in another excellent film, uh, Dark Song. Yes, one of your favourites. It's a classic. Cool. What's your second? So I went back in time for this one for a William Lustig double feature. Ooh. And he directed Maniac, uh, featuring Joe Spinell as a crazed decapitate. No, not decapitating, a scalper. He likes to scalp people. He's psychotic. Uh, and Maniac Cop. So the the Maniac double feature. Nice. And they both have a very gritty New York backdrop. And they're just very, I don't know, there's just a you know, grittiness to it that I really liked. It's a filth, a filth to them. Yeah, it's sleazy and and interesting. It's It's a time capsule. Uh, Maniac Cop is an action horror, which is a little bit lighter than Maniac, which is more of like a, a savage art film in Man, a lot of ways. That film is so sad. Yeah, it's upsetting. And Joe Spinell is just fucking great. It's the role he was born to play. Yeah, I think he wrote it as well, didn't he? He did. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know Joe Spinell, you may remember him from Rocky. He is Rocky's mobster boss <laughs> who, like, Gives him a little bit of a, I don't know, a cash loan to, yeah. Nice. Anyway, Joe Spinell, mob boss. Joe Spinell double. Love it. Uh, 
No, no, Joe Spinell's not in Maniac Cop. Oh. No. That's sad. I wish. No, Maniac Cop actually has uh, Bruce Campbell in it. That's right, it does. And Robert Zadar, who is a very interesting looking dude. He has a massive jaw. He's got uh, cherubism. You would um, Bruce Campbell for the massive jaw. Oh, big time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Robert Zadar has cherubism, which is a medical condition where you get like a massive accumulation of bone around your jaw. Heck. And he was just a, a big unit anyway. So he's he's pretty awesome as... Sad maniac cop. As the titular character. Yeah. Yeah, it was fantastic. I, I was not expecting maniac cop to be so good. And then it was just a lot of fun. It's um, it's a sort of gree police procedural full of corrupt cops and like, you know, wise cracking assholes and like it's it's just everything you expect. And in like a slasher format, I don't know, like if you told me all that, I probably wouldn't have sold me, but it just really worked for me. I gotta give it a rewatch. I watched it many years ago and wasn't really a fan. So uh, your um, enthusiasm has piqued my interest. For me, it was like, instead of following a bunch of, you know, twit teens being slaughtered at a camp or whatever. Carefully getting to like almost get off my lawn status in yeah, this episode. <laughs> I am. But like I I don't know, maybe it's just the saturation. Get off of my lawn. <laughs> yeah. You teens old ruining all of my slashes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I think I just prefer slashes where I don't know, he's he's just killing randomly. Like I don't feel like there's any moral morality tale going on about you know, premarital sex or what Don't drinking. do sex, drugs, and rock and roll, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, none of that first rule of scream shit. You know what I mean? Like, it's he he's just walking around punishing everyone, the city, because of reasons that I won't spoil. Yeah, Maniac Cop, a lot of fun. Pretty cool. Check it out. Yeah, and that was another one we watched, well, I watched recently, late at night. Uh, I'm going to continue on my um, ladies dominating the cinema for my second double, which is a Micah Monroe double of It Follows and The Guest. So we watched The Guest last night, actually. My first watch. My rewatch. Uh, it's pretty good. So it was directed by... Adam Wingard. Adam Wingard, the guy who did uh, Your Next. If you're in Your Next fan, do you think you'll be a The Guest fan? Um... I didn't really feel a lot of overlap between them, actually. Except for their cheeky Your Next references. Yeah, I think there was, what, a mask? And it, Your Next written in blood. Was it? I thought I saw that. Yeah. I wasn't sure, though. Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, the guest was really cool. So the lead performance by Dan Stevens of... Um, Downton Abbey. Downton Abbey. <laughs> uh Apostle, which I really like, which is like a, a pretty long but actually pretty excellent folk horror. On Netflix. On Netflix. And he's in Colossal as well. I don't remember what he is in Colossal. That's also another Adam Wingard film. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. If you're a fan. Uh, anyway, Dan Stevens is excellent. I've, I'm a, I've got a big soft spot for him. Got a big man crush on him? No, I wouldn't go that far. But he's, he was pretty good. <laughs> and like particularly in the first half of the film... He's so intense Eerie. and because you don't know, well, at least for me, I didn't know what was going on. 
this guy just gets invited into this. Okay, so the, the, the premise is a family's grieving the loss of their son and brother uh, who, who died at war. He's a soldier. And a guy turns up on their doorstep and he says, I was your brother's or your son's friend. And he wanted me to tell you that he... He, he loves loved you. you. Yeah, anyway, he basically ingratiates himself into the family and ends up basically living there for, what, like a week? Yeah. It was meant to be like a couple of hours and then suddenly it's a week. Anyway, he... Uh, Tries to better their lives in odd ways. Yeah, their lives start sort of improving in some pretty violent ways. And anyway... So mom, dad, brother, sister. Yeah. Michael Monroe. Michael Monroe is the sister, yeah. And yeah, look, it's the first half particularly was really tight and and tense. tense. It starts to sort of, for me anyway, lose its way towards the second half. It's it gets a little getting, bit floppy. Yeah, it gets a bit crazy and then gets a little bit like lost down a aesthetics, <laughs> like nostalgia, neon lighting rabbit hole. Yeah, it wasn't mm. really worth it. Like it felt like a, a different film. Yeah. It, not that it's bad, but it just doesn't seem connected. Yeah, and it it went from like a gritty realism to that kind of eighties nostalgia thing that was is pretty popular at the moment. But I feel like not enough that it s- totally swaps z- subgenres that you're really into it. Like it's not like a um, from dusk till dawn kind of reveal or a, no. like I think if you're gonna swap subgenres on us, you really need to like have a, a like a midpoint where it swaps and it needs to be desperate enough that it feels like that's a conscious effort on your part. Yeah, it didn't quite own it. No, it kind of slides into it and you're like, oh, is that where we're going? Okay. Not to say it was bad. No. Um, like I say, I, I did quite enjoy it. I'd had it too hyped for me the first time I saw it, so it was nice on a rewatch to just let it um, sit with me and slide over me, you know. Yeah, enjoyed it. Yeah, the older I get, the more I realize I don't want to have any clue going in about what people think of things. Typically, yeah, I don't want I don't want a trailer. I don't want hype. I don't want you know things to be bad mouthed. I'd rather hear something being bad mouthed actually, mm. because I like going in with low expectations. Yeah, but yeah, if it's if it's getting a, you know accolades and acclaim. I mean, sometimes that can be good because if it's also good, then you're like, oh, wow, I'm happily surprised. But yeah, I just don't want to know anymore. But yeah, if you um, want to watch The Guest, I recommend It Follows as its partner, which is also a Micro Monroe 80s throwback with like neon lighting and a great electronic synth score. They've got that kind of in common. Um, they're very different feels, but um, I think it's a nice combo to see Micro Monroe try out um different roles yeah that's my yeah she's wonderful she is i feel like she's very underrated and i can't wait to see where her career goes from here because i mean she really dominates the second half of the film and that isn't to place any of the blame for you know how the second half goes the first act and a half is really the dan stevens show and then after that becomes the micah show but yeah she's wonderful Mm. Yeah, I think it follows is better. Oh, it's it's definitely better. It's a, it's a classic. Yeah, it's we already talked about this before. If you don't know our love for it follows, listen to the back episodes. Same I mean, with the Alice Low double. I've we've already gushed about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's the best Halloween sequel that never was, right? That's right. 
Um, yeah, so uh, I guess it's mine. Time yeah, for what's, it. what's your third pick? So my next double feature, and it's actually another couple of films that we watched just yesterday, uh, is Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, which is not a new film. I think it's from 2006. And it's sort of a, a meta mockumentary deconstruction of the slasher genre uh, in a way that's slightly different to, say, A Scream, in that you're focusing on the killer himself and he's sort of talking through a documentary team, talking them through the process of becoming a supernatural appearing uh, serial killer a la a Michael Myers or a Freddy Krueger or a Jason Voorhees. And it's in this world where those three characters are real. Really real. And it features Robert England actually as a Donald Pleasance-style psychiatrist, which is quite... It was actually quite great. I yeah. really want to see more old Robert England. He's, yeah, relishing the role in this. Yeah, he really he chewed it up. I mean, I've seen young Robert England in, like, uh, what was that Toby Hooper film? Eaten Alive. Was it Eaten Alive? It's such a no, weird... No, wait, that's a weird... I'll look it up. Yeah. The one that's set in the motel with a crocodile. We all know which one I mean. Yeah. And, like, he's, you know, this sleazy asshole in that. And, obviously, I know him from Nightmare on Elm Street, et cetera. Et cetera. But, um, yeah, he was wonderful in this. It is Eaten Alive. I'm yeah. correct. It's, I shouldn't doubt myself. Yeah, it's just a Don't weird title, Caitlin, isn't you're it? Great. <laughs> <laughs> Your memory's great. My memory for names and things is good. I just doubt myself sometimes. But yeah, he was wonderful. And um, it's funny and it has a nice twist, which is kind of the connection point with the other film I was going to suggest, which is the uh, much discussed of late One Cut of the Dead. Ooh, we were super looking forward to this one, weren't we? Yeah, and like it's, it's an interesting... Do you think it was overhyped for us? No, it was exactly the right of hype for me. I felt it was a bit overhyped for me, to be honest. I was fortunate because I recalled, I think it was Elric Kane from Shudder. No, from... Shockwaves. <laughs> lol. From Shockwaves. Uh, saying that the first half an hour are grueling and pointless. I, don't, I didn't remember that, so... Well, not, not grueling and pointless, but you, you're wondering, like, what the fuck am I watching? But that's kind of the point. Mm. Uh, and once you get through that, it makes a lot of sense and the the sequential reveals about, you know, the weirdness of what you watched in that first, what is it, 20 minutes? No, it's more like a good 30 to 40 minutes. Do you reckon? Yeah. That film was like an hour and a half and it was like a good 30 minutes in. Maybe that's just how it felt. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the, the premise is that, actually, I can't even ruin, I can't discuss the premise without ruining it. Suffice to say that it's a bit slow to begin with. It's about people making a zombie film. Yes. Yes, it is. It is. That's all you need to know. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah. If you want to see people making a zombie movie, watch this film. And it, and all the hijinks that ensue in a small budget, high pressure so low budget situation. <laughs> I think it just stressed you out. It did. It just reminded me of being on set. And all the bad things it associated did. with it. Oh that. my gosh. <laughs> It made me excited. I was like, "Ooh, I want to do that." I don't care. About I was all like, that. "Oh, so stressful." Yeah. So it's it's time pressure. <laughs> it's really got a heart of gold, though. Yeah. It's got that sort of heartwarming Japanese quality of pull together. We can all do this. <laughs> Everyone, do your best. Yay. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, but I would definitely recommend it. And they both have that kind of semi-found footage, semi-not, playing with genre tropes, playing with your expectations. I think I, um, like, full disclosure, I fell asleep in part of Leslie Vernon. Yeah, you missed missed (laughs) from where it starts getting good. (laughs) But I feel like it wasn't exactly my kind of horror, like, horror comedy. Like, I didn't, I couldn't laugh with it and if I did laugh I was laughing kind of at it and even then it felt false so I would 100% um, rate One Cut of the Dead purely based off the amount of time that I watched <laughs> Leslie Vernon so don't take it with a like a good bucket of salt yeah. but I found One Cut of the Dead funnier char- more charming um, even though it was stressful for me personally but um, and I just love the characters more. I just found them more relatable and funny. Like, I think the only thing that was saving Leslie Vernon for me was Robert England because he was chewing the scenery. But in One Cut yeah. of the Dead, everyone was really, like, chewing the scenery. So it was, <laughs> I was there for it. Yeah, I feel like you might have missed the reveal that kind of makes it, that sort of ties it all together I with... Think- Leslie Vernon, because also Leslie Vernon is is set as if it is a like documentary. When you first get the first uh, footage of um, the lead, like investigative journalist, I'll I'll call her. Um, she's wearing jeans and like um, a very like casual outfit, and she's carrying a very. Um, weird microphone that looks really out of place it looks like like a a, singing microphone not a it looks like a radio shack plastic piece of shit exactly and so i just couldn't take it like it it like lost me from that first scene like i just was like she would not be wearing jeans and she looks really unprofessional and that's not a professional mic so why would i take any of this seriously like they (laughs) the attention to detail is um lacking so sorely lacking in my opinion and wow so i yeah it lost me from then and then i just couldn't like yeah i just couldn't get into it i just was totally taken out by that one scene and i know that's very nitpicky of me but maybe you just weren't in a generous mood (laughs) as a filmmaker (laughs) it just i couldn't get past that whereas one kind of the dead it felt real it felt that's what it feels like to make a film yeah yeah totally it was way more authentic so what's your next double feature? Uh, speaking of horror comedies, I've got a horror comedy double for you Ooh. on Shutter. So we've got uh, Mayhem, the super fun um, horror comedy set in a, um, I like to call it the the, the like light-hearted Belko experiment. The fun, happy one. <laughs> the, the fun, happy Belko experiment. The Belko experiment video game adaptation that got turned into a film. Oh, that's no, that's ungenerous of you. I wouldn't say that. Well, it literally has like leveling up and a boss. Like, I think they even like joke <laughs> about that, don't they? <laughs> it's a Joe Lynch film, um, you know, starring our fave, Samara Weaving, as well as um, Stephen Yeun, who's also a fave of mine. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, you know, um, classic. Um, actually, it's a bit close to home at the moment, a classic virus outbreak, but uh, turns everyone into their basest selves and they go on a killing, sex-having spree in an um, office block and uh, Stephen Young has to get to the top and kill the CEO because he's just been fired. Yeah, it's interesting. This Hi, one, Jackson, you. <laughs> this one didn't really work for me, sadly. I, I actually preferred Belko. Oh, he prefers Belko. Yeah, Ooh. even though it had a dumb ending. I wouldn't say it's a dumb ending. I'd just say it's a dis- disappointing ending. Yeah, it didn't work for me. But like, 
Mayhem's fine, but it, it felt like it was trying a little hard. It's kind of reminded me of Guns Akimbo. Yeah, had that kind of Guns Akimbo vibe where it was Samara Weaving as well. Uh, look, don't get me wrong, Samara Weaving's great in both of them, but like I don't know, just a little bit broad, a little bit, a little bit tryhardy. Oh, I, th- I that's ungenerous. I think <laughs> I yeah. like I like mayhem. Mayhem. I I will pause it this by saying that um, mayhem and the second movie in my double feature, Dead Shack. I saw both um, by myself at the um, Toronto After Dark Film Festival in Canada. Um, yes, I'm gonna big note myself. <laughs> and um, they were both audience kind of participation in a way films yeah. where you really like the horror and the comedy get people ooing and ahhing and laughing and it's. Yeah, it's just like a, a lovely collectivist experience. That that's one of the things I'm really missing in this pandemic. So yeah, it would be enough. nice to have a double where I'm just reliving that to a certain extent and enjoying it with like some some fun characters um, in like a, a safe setting. Maybe yeah. let's, let's say it's pretty lighthearted. I probably went in with the wrong expectations. Um, and yeah, so the follow up would be Dead Shack, which is um, a kind of like a classic zombie ish. Film. I don't want to say too much about it just because um, it's. Uh, it was described to me as um, Stranger Things with Zombies. I think that's pretty ap- apt. Okay. <laughs> if, you, if you're in the mood for a, like an 80s synthy, like um, neon lighty um, kids um, cavorting about the woods and finding a shack, there are zombies. Okay. That's all you need. If you're in the mood for that, it's right up your alley. If you're not in the mood for any of that, steer clear. Well, it's a mood. It's definitely a mood. Yeah, I haven't seen that one yet. So and Lauren Holly's in it, and we all love Lauren Holly. Who's Lauren Holly? Which one's she? Uh, she's from Dumb and Dumber and uh, What Women Want. Um, I would list other movies, but I don't think you've seen them. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> I'll take your word for it. She's great. <laughs> she's great. All right, so what else have we watched? Let's keep splicing. What's, oh. your, ne- what's your next um, double? Well, I guess it fits because it's what we just watched. Uh, my next one is the Spanish language double. Ooh, damn. We're getting cultural up in here. <laughs> <laughs> of Time Crimes and Tigers Are Not Afraid. Yay. So uh, Katie has seen Tigers Are Not Afraid a couple of times. No, only once. Oh, okay. I thought you saw her a couple of times at festivals. No, I saw it at Myth. Mm. Yeah. So that was my first time. That one was overhyped for me. Oh. Unfortunately, because it um it gets quite a huge press on uh, shockwaves. Rebecca McKendry loved it. La 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 loved it. I really and enjoyed you it. You la 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 loved it. Issa Lopez is a genius. Liked it. <gasps> oh no. Yeah, it was good. Um, it's oh, fuck, man. It is unrelentingly sad, and I mean, no, that's not fair. It that's it, it relents fair. at moments. So that it can then pound you further into the dirt. I mean, it's pretty, apart from the um, magical realism, which it, it's it's playing on that, um, coming through that cultural aspect. I think that it's pretty true to what is actually going on in Mexico at the moment. So it's yeah. just great. Yeah. That's Hard <laughs> to watch. It's <laughs> tough. Like it's it's wonderfully made and the child performances are fantastic. Yeah, she really did a Issa Lopez did a great job with the kids. They are yeah. authentic. Particularly the character Shine. Yeah. The, the little boy who played Shine was whew, he was wonderful. 
But um, fuck, it's a it's a tough watch. And if you think the magical part of the magical realism is going to lighten the load, it doesn't. (laughs) Probably the opposite. (laughs) Very much so. Yeah. So it was tough. um, Being a good place. You want to give a a little rundown of the story? Do you want me to? It's it's about it's about um, a girl. um, Her name is Estrella, and she. can't find her mom and so she falls in with a gang of boys whose families like between five and ten yeah and um she falls in with a bunch of boys whose families have also and siblings have been taken out by a um drug gang of of actual adults and um although it's not clear why no like they they proffer all these different ideas like they're taking their organs. They're using them for satanic rituals. Like it's never really explained. They're just I think they're taken. Just taking over the the city slowly and taking out people who are in their way. I think it was meant to be, like from that child perspective of I don't know why adults do this shit they do, which yep. I really liked. And they, you know, we only get these very childlike understandings, interpretations of which what's was happening. Really cool. Yeah. And it really felt authentic to the way that children speak to one another, mm-hmm. interact, and um, deal with traumatic events. Yeah. It was heartbreaking. It is very heartbreaking. But yeah, like Phil said, be in a good place to watch this film. But it is a beautiful film by um, a very talented writer-director. And I can't wait to see what she does next. I felt like in some ways, some of the ghost story-ish kind of things were superfluous like it was sad and scary enough like it it definitely helps put the film into a horror genre Mm. but they weren't the things that scared me that made me upset Mm. not that they were like not worthwhile but i don't know they just i think it made it into like a dark fairy tale rather than just being a straight up play-by-play of what's happening and i think that um true true yeah it it, it's definitely got a lot of obviously guillermo del toro um influences in that way and i think that yeah kind of reminds me of devil's backbone definitely or pan's labyrinth yeah somewhat Mm -hmm. and the other one i chose was time crimes which is stressful so stressful (laughs) And I think we summarized it as time travel is for smart people. <laughs> time travel is for intelligent people only. <laughs> if, you, if you're not smart, don't time travel. It's and, not going to end well. And spoiler alert, our main character is not that bright. And he makes a lot of mistakes. And it's stressful. <laughs> it, was, it was a very interesting film, though. I liked it. So the, the It's premise, kind of like a mystery. It's like, it's, it's like a... A time-traveling mystery, which I haven't quite seen much of before. Like, yeah. a mystery in terms of um, what's happening. Not just what's happening to him, but... I don't know. It's, it's like an unraveling. Yeah. It's a reverse plot. It's c- actually kind of reminded me of Irreversible in that way. You get all these tidbits and then they start being explained. Although it's not actually in reverse. It's just the time travel component does that. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was it was very interesting, very stressful. The premise is a husband and wife are moving into a new home. The husband is tired and he is sitting on a lawn chair and through his binoculars, which for some reason he has, 
he spies a woman taking her top off. And so he starts perving on her. Maybe that's the entire story is like, just don't perv on women. Bad things will happen to you. <laughs> well, yeah. and like, It's a moralist tale. I mean, admittedly, uh, I don't want to spoil anything. It, that part of the, the story was pretty sad and shit, I must yeah. say. But um, yeah, so he goes to find out what she's doing. He gets attacked by a guy who's got pink bandages. Anyway. It devolves from there. He basically falls into a time machine and we get to groundhog that day from different perspectives. Very interesting. I feel like it's the kind of film that is often replicated, but never really quite so successfully. I agree. And seems like a very influential film to me. Yeah. If you've seen The Infinite Man, I think you'll kind of guess what's going on a lot quicker than if you hadn't seen it. Um, that's the Australian um, time traveling movie for those who haven't seen it. Yeah. Um, but I think The Time Crimes is uh, has a more satisfying um, story arc than, say, The Infinite Man did personally. The character arc was more satisfying as well because the guy really embodies the change that's going on in his attitude. I think there are just too many versions of um, Infinite Man to, of the time loop to make it really, um, I don't know, um, to make it really like plausible for you to be able to follow exactly which characters are, uh, um, what is happening to. I know it's difficult, but that, that movie is very difficult to explain to people who haven't seen it. Yeah. I mean, Tom Crimes is tough too without spoiling anything. Yeah. And if you think you've already figured out what's happening, you haven't. <laughs> you might have. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, in terms of like the time science, it doesn't get too bogged down in it. No, it doesn't. Um, I think it's it's usually a good idea to have a bit of a hand wavy approach, otherwise, you're going to break your own rules. And time travel doesn't make sense. Exactly. And so, <laughs> a lot of the shit doesn't make sense. We did actually have like okay. a little like <laughs> me and you had like a um, plausible um, story p- plot hole. Um, argument during the film about what yeah. was actually happening and we were like you know what just keep watching the film there's no point <laughs> it seemed in fact like afterwards you're kind of like is that in just is that just eternally paradoxical like but it doesn't matter it's fun <laughs> it's not if fun if it's you, just good <laughs> if you like it if you like a time travel film i would recommend it yeah it was worthwhile all right what about you what's your uh, is it your last double feature no i got two more oh my god I've, i accidentally did one more than you. How rude. How, how rude. I'll do my two together then. Do it. Um, so I've got my Ruthless Women double and my Love Hurts double. Which one would you like to hear about first? Ooh, Love Hurts. So Love Hurts, uh, you have not seen either of these films. Oh, so I'll I've just got, shut the fuck up then. <laughs> I've got uh, <laughs> Wreck 3 and Honeymoon. So uh, it's uh, Wreck 3 taking place at a wedding and uh, Honeymoon, obviously taking place on a honeymoon. Um, I don't want to spoil these too much as Phil hasn't seen them, but Wreck 3, if you're not familiar with the Wreck uh, films are Spanish um, about zombie apocalypse. Mm-hmm. Um, the first film takes place um, with an investigative journalist inside a apart- apartment complex uh, and it's in the found footage style. Um a little spoiler, um, Wreck 3 starts off in the found footage um, style and quickly switches out to a normal cinematic style. So I think that's actually one of the reasons I really enjoyed it over <laughs> 1 and 2. Oh, really? Um, yeah. Preferred it. I prefer it. Yeah, Wreck is 3 is my favourite of the series. I haven't um, seen any Wrecks yet, so that is something I need to rectify. 
<gasps> he went there. Also, Rex starts is um, short for record if you're not familiar with that yeah. series. Um, and uh, Honeymoon um, stars Rose Leslie and is uh, Lee Janiak's uh, debut feature, I think. She wrote and directed it. Um, about a couple on a honeymoon and uh, Rose Leslie's character, B uh, starts changing for whatever reason. Mm. And uh, things get creepy in a cabin in the woods kind of style thing. Uh, I really liked it. I will um, go out on a limb here and remind people that actually my short film Made of Horror played before it at Monster Fest back yeah, in the day. So cool. have a little link to it. But um, I can say that um, personally I enjoy it. Don't go in expecting the world, but it is a good little low budget um, thriller. And then my Ruthless Women double, my last one. Uh, again, sorry, Phil. This one's got two films you haven't seen either. <laughs> <laughs> and this one is... I'll, I'll uh, just leave. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> this one's uh, Cold Hell, which is a German um, thriller horror. Um, the less I say about that one, better, because I went in totally blind and that was um, a one-two punch to the gut. Um <laughs> just to say there's a serial killer on the loose and it stars a um, lady's going to take no shit. And uh, The Woman, which is a um, great um, cannibal horror film, um, which uh, is about a, um, a wild woman who gets taken in by this uh, family and this guy's um, the, the husband and um father figure in the f- in the family's decided he's going to try and um domesticate her by any means necessary oh that sounds great and um things don't go to plan <laughs> sounds like a good double with the guest yeah that could also be a good double with the guest the stranger into the family dynamic. yeah um the woman is um a bit um on the verge of torture porn so if you're not quite into that i wouldn't recommend it um but i really enjoyed it when i saw it um back in the day at myth um and it's um, I can't remember if it's written by Jack Ketchum or just based on his series, but he's a great um American horror author, who sadly passed away a few years ago. But um, it's if you've read um, uh, Off Season, it's um from about the same um cannibalistic kind of family and backstory, etc. So, yeah, would recommend um. Cool. The woman and Cold Hell. If you're in for a um, a ruthless woman kind of night, which I mean, who isn't? Yeah, basically. (laughs) And I think there was only one more film that we watched on Shudder and didn't really fit any of our double feature ideas, and that was Blood Quantum. Blood Quantum. What a name. What a (coughs) title for a film. Which was a very... I still don't know what it means. I mean, I'm going to look it up right now. Okay, do What the fuck's a quantum? (laughs) Are we the only ones? I feel dumb. (laughs) In physics, a quantum is the minimum amount of any physical entity. So it's the minimal amount of blood. I don't think that makes sense. Nope. Okay. Nope. Doesn't make a lot of sense. Anyway. The post is misleading too. Well, it is and it isn't. Okay. The poster is actually very cool. It's a cool poster. It's just, I I feel it's misleading. It's misleading because, like, he's not a good guy. But he is also pretty much the central character. I did like, um, so the premise of this movie is that there is, once again, a zombie apocalypse. Can't get away from them these days. Um, and uh, it's set in Canada, which is nice. It's a little bit of a change. Um, so it is set in Canada. 
Yeah. Okay, I thought so. Yeah, Canada. And uh, the and it's set around um, a reservation, Red Crow Reservation, and yeah. um, the indigenous population. Um, and as they deal with the zombie apocalypse, which I thought was a great twist on um, zombie films that we've seen in the past because I'm sick of them being very whitey, whitey, white, white. Yeah. It was interesting. Uh, for me, it kind of played a little bit like uh, an episode of The Walking Dead. They were fast zombies <coughs> if you're um, playing along at home and you're a fast zombie aficionado. The effects were good. They were. Um, there were some cool characters. Yes. It did kind of feel a bit pointless. Um, I liked... I know that sounds terrible, but like it felt like... Do you feel like the zombie... It's just been done. Yeah, it's been done to death and these it days. Was, it was sort of walking, it was like going through the motions and all the... Like the character deaths and all the the sort of hard hitting things we've seen before, and yeah. so it's, it's just it didn't the the innovation mm. is the inclusion of like the you know the Native American well North Amer- Native North American I guess you have to call them Native mm. Canadian I don't know what's the kind of nomenclature for that anyway Indigenous population yeah mm. that was cool mm. and like the whole towny versus. Um, reservation population thing that was going on was cool, but that was that was it. The rest was just your very much your standard late two thousands post twenty eight days later like Walking Dead fair. Yeah, and so it's just like okay, uh, it, it's it just hasn't been long enough that that feels fresh again. I would have personally preferred. I know people are gonna say, oh, but like you should be able to do anything at any time, and like hundred percent go with you, but. I would prefer something that is actually um, Native American like folklore or folk culture more yeah, injected cool. into it in some way because it just felt like apart from them being like I don't want the, I don't want like you know the magical Negro I don't feel like the need for that kind of thing but I'm just saying that if you wanted to do a different take on a zombie film just because you have lead characters that are indigenous doesn't mean that you're actually doing anything that new. What do you agree? Do you agree, Phil? Yeah, I mean, there. I think there was meant to be a, like a colonial, anti-colonial thing going on. Um, it maybe, maybe I just didn't quite catch it. Not being maybe it was too with, subtle. I don't know. I think maybe it just wasn't intended for us. I mean, we we have a different, you know, indigenous population, and they've had different issues we don't have reservations in the same way i think we do have you know some protected areas where people live traditional lifestyles but it's not the same and there's not the same you know dynamic of people who live near reservations and their relationships with people who live in reservations so we're like uh, i'm sure there was just a bunch of stuff there we just didn't get i think that um not that it's exactly a, a close um Maybe it's like a close cousin, but Cargo, the Australian zombie film. Okay, I think yeah. that um, having um, Aboriginal population in a zombie movie was more effective, personally. I didn't. That's interesting. In terms of um, being able to show the colonialism and the passing on of um, law and connectedness to the country and things like that. I think that not necessarily the fact that Cargo was That's um, cool headed, double, by, headed by yeah a white a main white main characters which but, was a shame which is totally a shame and i think that it would have been much more interesting if we just focused on the aboriginal characters to be honest yeah totally 
totally. So I, I don't know. Blood Quantum, not without its flaws. Also, uh, the dialogue needed a desperate reworking. Yeah, it just seemed awkward that they were swearing. It didn't come naturally to the actors. It felt like forced. No. There was just and there was just a lot of swearing and repetitive swearing. Just Quentin Tarantino'd all over it and it just was, didn't need it. It was just a lot of fuck and But like, like awkward fuck. Like, like not just like a throwaway fuck, it was like fuck every second word being fuck. It just didn't fit. It felt like it had been written over a long period and each you know, each successive draft had just been like, add some more swears. No, I was thinking like each part had been written in isolation and it kind of works if you're expecting the rest of the film to sort of lay off the, the, <laughs> the F-bombs. But then like every scene was dense with F-bombs. Yeah, and it wasn't particular to characters and it didn't um, make sense in terms of the ramping up for um, emotional effect because it yeah. had already been lost by using it in a... Um, a wishy-washy kind of way. Yeah, it was just constant. So, like, I mean, that's obviously a small thing, but it's particularly coming from the mindset of writing. Like, it's, it, you know, when you're writing a sentence and you just use the same word too often, you start going, okay, new word, thesaurus time. <laughs> like, mental thesaurus time. <laughs> like, they, they needed to, like, ease up on the F-bombs. But, yeah, it's still worthwhile. Check it out. Yeah, I would say check it out, especially if you... um if you do love the zombie genre and are a completist, um, either of those things, check it out. It's definitely a worthwhile inclusion. Like, and, and the the effects are great. And I usually get bored of zombie movies and I found myself enjoying this one. So yeah. I would recommend it. And it has some very pretty cinematography. Oh, yeah, definitely. They, the really interesting um, drone shots at the start. Yeah, and they kind of use them as throughout as a way of connecting distances which was mm. cool. I mean, it's it's pretty conventional and popular at the moment to do so, but it was still very nice. Um, really quick, just before we finish, Phil, uh, if we go back to Shudder, what movie or movies are you most excited to check out that you haven't yet seen? Ooh, good question. Well, now that you've talked up the woman, I wouldn't mind seeing that. Oh, heck. <laughs> uh, dumplings? Yes. Uh, I've been wanting to watch that for so long. Which is the reason I want to watch it. Uh, take I'm, your wrecks pretty seriously. I'm I'm excited to watch 31. I know it's going to be oh. a trash fire of Rob Zombie <laughs> proportions, but I I am 110% down for it. Yeah, that'll be a journey I'll get on, but I don't know. Um, I, I mean, the poster of Cub looks cool, and I love a folk horror. I mean, it doesn't review well, but I still want to see it. Uh, I wanted to watch Room. That was um, recommended by Rebecca McAndrew about oh, yeah. um, a couple that move into a new house and have a um uh, there's a room that grants you every wish that can only end badly i'm about with that <laughs> yeah careful what you wish for actually that was a motif of tigers are not afraid it was uh i i mean i do also want to mention that shutter has a bunch of cool australian films on not a lot but a few um even a modern one like wormwood which is cool i haven't seen it but i know it's uh an Australian film. It's got a good cult following, that film. Yeah, well, I, I, actually, that's something I do want to see, although we own the DVD. Um, Next of Kin is on there. Turkey Shoot. Turkey Shoot. Thirst. Thirst. So there's a bunch of old exploitation ones as well, which is great. The, would you call The Devil's Candy an Australian film or just an American yeah, film directed by an Australian? No, nah, it's Australian. John Byrne. It's Australian. Check enough. it out. I really enjoyed that. Another film people should check out is Terrified. Yes. Um, I... Like, I had it overhyped for me, so it didn't quite have as big an impact on me as maybe it could have, but 
it still has one of the best set pieces of modern horror that come to mind. Like yeah. when I'm thinking, oh, what's a cool scare or effect or whatever, it's still got one of the most effective effective and memorable moments. And if you watch it and you know what it is, hit us up, talk to us about it. We loved it. Yeah. Um, and... Noonday Witch, I want to say. Yeah, great. I've, I've heard it described as like the the daytime version of the Babadook. Um, we've been recommended Hell House LLC as yes. a found footage um, genre stalwart for th- found footage. I think we probably would have already watched that, except we'd done just so many found footage in a in a row. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't want to overdose on it. Um, Tourist Trap is another one that people should get on. Yeah, that's I love real, Tourist Trap. That's a real slasher sleeper that it's fucking creepy. It, it's very effective. It gave yeah. me chills. It, I think one of the few things, because gore isn't scary, right? I think one of the few things that is still innately scary to me is um, Uncanny Valley stuff. Mm. So when things are just not quite right, yeah, don't quite look like a person, but it's still close enough. Ugh. And so you know, moving masks and dolls that are very like and yeah, waxwork figures, and it can be quite effective. And mm. Tourist Trap uses it really well. Uh, and my last one, which I have actually already seen, but I would like you to watch, is uh, Citadel, which is a great um, entry into hoodie horror, if you're not familiar with hoodie horror. <laughs> yep. Um, Keen to check that out. Yeah. Not necessarily the best ending, but um, yeah, chilling nonetheless. Cool. And there's also things like Castle Freak on there, which I've seen, but, you know, always want to spruik that one. Starry Eyes. Starry Eyes. Ugh. It's, yeah. The That's first a classic. The first three Hellraiser films are on there. You know, there's just a bunch. We've seen Revenge, but I don't think either of us really liked it. But, you know, people love Revenge. So if you want, like, a, a really stylish, um, incredibly violent rape revenge film. It's French. Uh, and it's, yeah, well, that's fitting. Yep. Uh, check out Revenge. It's not creatively titled, but it is accurate. Ooh, and Housebound, which we always love to spruik. Yeah. New Zealand horror comedy. Yep. All right. I think we've probably gone on long enough at this point. But um, yes, Shudder, get on it. It's it's worthwhile. Uh, we, we subscribe to a lot of different things, but uh, yeah, Shudder. Keen. We've been keen for a long time and it's here, so grab it. Awesome. Well, uh, that's it for today's sermon. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, so if you want, you can write to us at cultofcinemapodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at cultofcinemapod or join the discussion, which is really sort of thrumming along at the moment, with other cultists on Facebook at the Cult of Cinema Podcast Group. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on whatever platform you're using. And if you can spare a few seconds, a quick review would be fantastic. Feedback is always welcome, and the ratings and reviews really help us spread the good word. So thanks in advance, and until next time, all hail cinema! cinema.